Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. It's time for you and those you love to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. It's called Move Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a free one hour live online class where you'll hear new and empowering information about how to solve addiction for good without steps, meetings, rehabs, or being labeled for life. If you're struggling or you love someone who is, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll in this free one-hour class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org and choose the date and time that works for you. See you at the masterclass. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we have a... And we, we have really Stephen. He's not a guest. He's like, <laughs> he's part of us. We, the well, Stephen and Mark wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions and I was the content editor. Um, and I wrote, but I took a lot of their book, uh, the Freedom Model for the Family. And mm -hmm. we are so excited to be talking with Stephen today. But first, we have to do a little housekeeping. Oh, yeah. We have to talk about, I, I put a little reminder <laughs> here because I would have forgotten it. Because we forget all That's the ridiculous. time. Um, we have our master class. Anybody can join it. It's free. It's an hour every week. And we teach people how to move past addiction without meetings, without rehabs, without any of the recovery apparatus. And we can show that to you in one hour. Um, and where do they find how you to can just go to the freedommodel.org and there's going to be an annoying pop-up that's going to happen. And it, right there is that's how you sign up for the masterclass. The pop-up comes up. You say, click here. We have all different dates. We do one every single week. And if you can't attend the live event, it's recorded. So you can see it later on. You just have to enroll. Yeah. So that's it. All right. Now we're going to talk to Steve today about Matt. Yeah. which is medicated assisted medicated assisted treatment therapy i don't know it can be whatever you want to call it but can't use that term can't use that term that's bad <laughs> m o u d what is m o u d you know i don't even or o a t <laughs> opioid uh, oh opioid assisted therapy no 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 it's it's not assisted it is the medication that's why you can't oh use it's not assisted so anymore have, <laughs> we've had so many acronyms over the years right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so funny to me and i posted somebody uh, I, I i barely am ever on twitter or or you know writing much stuff online anymore obviously it's been a while but like i put on twitter like huh Anybody remember all the different acronyms? I think people like took me seriously. Whenever I go sarcastic on on the Twitter, I like, know it's so true. People don't get it. I guess I don't. It's it's kind of funny. Um, I, I did one recently. It's like I get no interaction. 
but but I you know I tweeted something like um like I can't wait till the day when we find a stigma proof medication for addiction um and you know that's because I was reading something you know recently it was like um you know it was a bit, it was in JAMA and it was a big thing about how many people are taking um Suboxone and methobuprenorphine and 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 yeah. and uh, methadone, and uh, what the retention you know the retention is like twenty percent. Wow! Make it more than six months. They stay on it more than six months, and then at the end of the article, and um, I do I have it in front of me right now? I'm I'm switching over. These findings suggest that clinical and policy efforts to increase buprenorphine use have been insufficient to meet the demand, the need for the medication. A comprehensive approach is needed to eliminate barriers to buprenorphine initiation and retention, such as stigma and uneven access to prescribers. So sorry for reading crap to you right from the beginning, but <laughs> uh, how do I get back that's, to where we are? You know, that's, that's interesting to me because they're prescribing it now for people that have other drug issues there. It's yeah. not limited to opiates anymore. It's, it's, I mean, we've met people who were saying they were, they had a meth problem and they put them on buprenorphine, right? right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I, mean, I know. I've met, we've, I, I've had prescribing nurses in the, the classes years ago that told me they were prescribing these things for, you know, other addictions. Like, and it's like, the only point of it is, is it kind of like keeps you from, um, going into withdrawal. Right. You know, um, there's this idea that somehow it's going to satisfy. Right. Um, whatever people are craving in the opioid, even it's because it's like a half version of it, right? It doesn't totally stimulate you. It's built up in your body. You've got a tolerance. You're not really getting high. Although plenty of people are now telling me they do get high from it. Right. What I understood to be the case is you stop taking it for a while, then you get high off of it. But I, you know, I hear so many different mixed things, but um, from people about what it's like. I would almost like to take it and see. And just to see, right, <laughs> right. see what it is. And I've said this before about, I want to take the naltrexone and drink and see what that's like. I you know, know, I know. Because people have, been, I, I, you know, I've asked for descriptions of that. Um, and, you know, people have sort of, it's like, well, you're sort of like, you're still sort of drunk. Like, meaning they're having all those bodily effects of right. being drunk. And they're missing the one little brain stimulation. The pleasure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like all the other stuff is happening. So they're kind of still getting something. It's a strange, you know, it's it's a strange thing. But um, but they uh but this idea, this is the biggest thing. They just keep going back to stigma. And, and you notice in that little paragraph I read, um, it also said something about access to prescribers because for so many years they would focus on there's only this many prescribers right and they would talk about like rural counties so only half of them have prescribers and then you'd look at like iowa or whatever and a rural county is like 
20 by 20 miles. <laughs> and you know, like, yeah. it was certainly the, the thing that always gets me about that too. And, you know, I know you guys had Zach the other day when I, when I lived in Massachusetts and I was doing heroin, we would meet people that drove all the way down from freaking Burlington, Vermont. Holy oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To Holyoke. I, I was going to say for people who don't know, that's like a four to five hour drive. I mean, it's next to Canada and, yeah. and they would come down to Holyoke, Massachusetts. Yeah. To like buy their heroin, and in all these years, we were watching these um, these activists uh, who promote uh, buprenorphine be like, "Oh, you know, there's barriers." Like the the okay, so once a month now you would drive to see a doctor and right refill a prescription, and somehow that is a barrier. Right. But driving five hours to the nearest dumpy city that is going to be dealing where 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 Were heroin you? is going to be dealt. Um, that's not a barrier. Right. Like, you know, right. you can handle once a month. Right. But it, like to, to go make this trip. Well, they you always overlook the, pa- the the fact that people are willing to bypass all these barriers to get the drugs in the first place. And the that's other right. thing to me. Is just we keep on they these people keep going back to this stigma. Oh, stigma stops people. And and if that was true, then they would stop taking the heroin. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's the most yes. stigmatized drug that there is. Right. Yes. And, and fentanyl now, I guess, more so, right? But yep. the opioids in general, the most stigmatized thing. And now we're saying, oh, well, the reason they stopped taking. The, the they don't last six months now we know they said 25 percent of people who you know need it are taking it in a year and um that's huge you know like when they say how many people that need alcohol treatment are getting any alcohol treatment it's yeah. like nine percent yeah right ten yeah. percent this is higher than anything else and we act like Ah, uh, there's just all these people stopping the treatment from happening, right? Right. You but know. but I would argue now with the whole stigma argument. I would argue that the stigma exists on heavy substance use way way more than it exists on going like getting help for it and going into recovery. That's yeah. to me, that's almost like being in recovery is almost a badge of honor now. Like, oh, oh I went yeah. to rehab, right? I mean, I, or I'm on Suboxone now. Like I've, I mean, when you look on social media, like people are like touting that, like, like it's a badge of honor. Yeah. yeah. So the stigma art- argument is just because they can't get everybody to buy in. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what it comes down to. If people don't want to go to treatment, I mean, people are like, fuck rehab. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to be on Suboxone. <laughs> I, I think it's well, silly. Here's the thing as well. You know? They're taking it in the first place. Right. It is hard to find anybody who's That's had true. an opioid problem that hasn't taken. That is so true. That's right. It's universal. It's, now. it's really, really next to mm-hmm. impossible to find them. That's right. So they have focused over the years. And, you know, we put together a bunch of numbers years ago. Yep. And it got ignored. We were like, these are the patient numbers. They've been reported places. Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, no. And then, you know, and. America's number one writer. I'm just not going to mention names. I don't want to mention names. I don't want to start beefs with people, but America's number one addiction writer pushing buprenorphine would be like, Mm -hmm. as soon as I went to her with like, well, look at these patient numbers and, you know, 
national survey on drug use and health says there's like 2 million people and we still see patient numbers of one to 2 million people. Right. And I know, you know, some of them that are taking it are happily taking it and done with yep. their drug problems for sure. We don't, we don't know what that, where, where that is. Although we know that half of the people in the, the, the half of the people that take it in a year are new cases. Right. Um, at least, at least half. But, but so I went to her with, with those, with these numbers and I was like, how are you still acting like nobody's taking this? Oh, and it's like, oh, well, National Survey on Drug Use and Health really underestimates the number of people that are addicted to heroin. So now there's an imaginary larger right. of heroin addicts out there. You know, there's always some dodge. Nobody wants to deal with the fact that most everyone who's had an opioid problem has taken this and they didn't find it satisfying. That's it. That's that's exactly correct. They did not find that's that it right. satisfied the, or ended their desires to get high. Right. Right. Not just to have a mild opioid in them. That's not satisfying. That's, that's not that's why you take drugs. You take it for the up and the down. And right. this, uh, you know, this drug with its super long half-life. Uh, prevents you from having that up and down, at least from opioids. You know, then you can shoot some coke and it's real good, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, but, but stigma is the ultimate boogie monster. They can, because how can you measure, you know, you can't really measure the effects of stigma and they keep going back to that. But very simple thing, if stigma worked, they wouldn't, they would stop taking the heroin. Yeah, so so you and I were talking years ago, Steve, and and this this whole thing came up, and we were talking about it. And I I, I remember saying to you, I just I don't even. It literally was hard for me to understand the stigma thing. Yeah. I, I was like, I I think they're making this up because it's not you know because my whole life, all I do is work with active users. Like yeah, since I was seven. Yep. Right. I've been around around drug users my yeah. whole life. Yeah. E every day. And I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about. So so maybe these researchers are finding this unknown population out there that's complaining about all this stuff. Really, what I see them complaining about is I take the stuff hmm. and I can't get high and I'm freaking out. So I stopped taking it. So I can get high, and yeah. and it's so well, and it's supposed obvious. to make me not want to get high. It's supposed to get, get rid right. of my cravings because they or my conflate thoughts. they conflate the body, what happens in your physical being, with what your motives are and your beliefs are, and the the value you see in in the interpretation of the drug experience. So they conflate these things, and they don't understand it, or maybe they understand if they if they understand what I'm talking about here, then it would be diabolical. I would have to say that there's. But I, I don't think they are diabolical. No, I, think, I don't. Either. I think they just they are so one dimensional on the body and they conflate it all to your biochemistry runs you and and it's and they can't see past that. It's a huge blind spot and it's yeah. 100 years old. This blind spot. It's a massive blind spot. Yeah. Well, and I there was a, a story this I think I saw it. Did I see it on the news this morning or last evening? where it's just come out now, the numbers have come out that overdose rates were up like 
significant percentage be from 2020 to 2021 because oh, uh, you know big. they just come out with those numbers yeah, now yeah. and and i thought really i, I it was last night because bob and i were watching the television i'm like i should have pulled it um yeah. cause it was on it was just on the m- mainstream news and um and i i'll have to pull it and see but i'm like how is that possible how is it possible? Yeah, because there's so much Suboxone. There's so many people going to treatment now, and there's so much Suboxone being handed out that how are more people overdosing today than were last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Isn't this what we're supposed to be? Isn't this what this is supposed it to be? It was supposed stop? to be if we were anything like France, right? Yeah. What France did, they got everybody on buprenorphine then we would cut our overdoses in half. And instead they've doubled and doubled again. And doubled yep. again. We exactly. have been, they, nobody wants to, I used to see that along with, you know, it's the gold standard of, you know, opioid treatment, whatever these stock phrases they are walking around saying them like uh, robots, you know? So, and, so, so Steve, uh, what, what would you say is the difference between France and here in your opinion? Like, why did it work mm-hmm. then there and here? I don't know. That's tough. <laughs> so so I, 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 ha- I, have, I have an idea. Yeah, I, I, I have he, an idea. He set you that. up because he wanted to answer. I think it's because the, the idea of heroin, first of all, heroin's an interesting drug. It's different than alcohol, for example, because it has pain relieving qualities. That sure does. Physical pain relieving yeah. qualities. Yeah. And and so alcohol has mild anesthetic value, mild, uh, coupled with just feeling like dog shit, right? It just right, beats the snot right. out of your body because it's so poisonous. But heroin doesn't have that. So, so it's very easy with heroin to conflate from a drug experience angle, mm-hmm. the physical relieving of physical pain with the, the idea that it's relieving my emotional emotional right right right. the warm blanket as gabor always talks about real bullshit right right so heavy duty marketing that way i don't think they see it that way in europe Uh i don't not to the same degree by any stretch so maybe they don't romanticize it as much that's that's right i think the social factors are different in in those countries um because that's the only way now i don't know that for certain i i'm talking out my ass a bit here but i know that in america we over we we have a real overblown view of drugs as this um emotional elixir to a much greater degree than they do in Europe. Now, part of that, I believe, is because big pharma is involved in the way they market and every oh like, yeah, the marketing is different. The marketing laws in Europe are way different. Than yeah. There. So so they don't have the oh, opportunity yeah. to build the drug up to this almost mythical spiritual experience. And here in America, they build the drug up and then they build the suboxone up as its counterpart, right? It's counteracting. Yeah, and yeah, just- and, yeah. We built the entire idea of drugs needed for emotions, right? Uh, like, yeah. yeah. That yeah. they haven't had that kind of like antidepressant marketing and all of that there, same way, right? That that's is, right. I, yeah, that is true. That's right. That would be a theory that I would throw out there. I don't know that for certain, but I've well, done- I absolutely believe it. I, I absolutely believe that's an operation here. Like, why have we had? Because it, it, I agree. You know, it follows along. I'm, I'm not the first person to say this. We wouldn't be the first person to say it. But like with Prozac and like whatever, as these things come out, 
And the idea becomes more mainstream that if there's a problem with your emotions, you need a drug for it. So right. they might be advertising that for Pro Prozac, but it enters the consciousness exactly. as like uh, maybe yes. the heroin really helps with that too. You know, even though that's an already an already an idea in existence, you're not talking about like a whole embracing of like gotcha. you got an emotional problem, you need a drug. Right? That's right. That's right. Well, and, and it's so and it's growing. It's growing mm -hmm. in this country because now, you know, marijuana is kind of a panacea, oh, right? Yeah. And, and, and mushrooms, yeah. psilocybin, yeah, psilocybin is a panacea. I can't believe they're going back to that. That whole psilocybin <laughs> thing is so, <laughs> it's, it's so weird because if you take mushrooms, like I've taken mushrooms when I was in different states of mind, right? Different times in my life. And, yeah. and, and I can remember <laughs> in particular being, my life was at a stage of really being mundane and boring and depressed. Right. And I took a whole shit ton of mushrooms and it was, it wasn't, I, I wasn't high. All of a sudden I realized, Oh my God, I just feel totally fucking whacked. I, <laughs> like, I, I can't think straight. Like I, I really am trying to think straight here. And I, I can't, I mean, I had like a, a, a huge bag, God, of it, you know, and, and it was, it wasn't a bad trip. It, you know, people are like, Oh, you had a bad trip. No, I just was totally aware of the fact that I couldn't, make coherent thought and I was working through a fucked up processor, but my mind was still with it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I've had lots of drug experiences where you take the setting and you change it. And the drug yeah. experience is very different, very different. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, but it, on this France thing, why did it work there? And it had, because like, if you're, if you're honest at all, I just want to say this, like, I, I think we've seen some of this rhetoric disappear, but we're, they're sticking back to like the stigma thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, it always goes back. But you used to see it all the time. France did this. If we even did a fraction of that, we would cut our overdoses by half. They said that again and again and again now. So, and we have done it. If you're honest, if you're anybody that looks oh, yeah. at the date, any of the data at all, and you're honest, we have done what France did. And we Absolutely. did not get the same results. We've got opposite results. Yep. Now the fentanyl is coming in and it wasn't coming in when we're comparing to France. So that's a difference, right? Yep. But regardless, there's some third factor here. And if, if the third factor is fentanyl, well, guess what? That means this stuff is not working as good against fentanyl as it would against run-of-the-mill heroin. Right. Right. As far as the idea that when you're on it, you have a um, tolerance that would prevent withdrawal. I mean, right. prevent um, overdose, overdose. overdose. Mm -hmm. overdose, right? That's that's part of the idea. If we could just keep you with the tolerance at all times, uh, you won't have a fatal overdose. Um, but now, so there's some third factor. We don't know what it is, but it really means if there's a third factor, it it, it kind of also it probably means like the Suboxone or buprenorphine, whatever at that time in France, maybe was not what was really behind the decrease in overdoses. Right, Do you know what I mean? Right. Like you don't, yeah, you don't know. There's, uh, there's multiple variables. Know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, but now look where we are. So this is, this is always fascinated me. They moved the goalposts. Yeah. They say, this is the gold standard of treatment for opioid addiction. And then they put a little link and the link always goes to um, some studies that show that while people were on 
buprenorphine or methadone, their overdose rate was half that as when they were not on it, right? Um, and so it's not about, you know, this successfully ending all these other things that we call symptoms of addiction, um, you know, which is like all of your time is taken up pursuing drugs and, you know, what, whatever, whatever it might be, right? The whole right, the right. disruptions to your life. You're not living a life that you really totally would ideally want to live, right? Whatever. Right. Problematic use, right. It's not about getting over that. Right. It's about, it, it now becomes about just not dying. Yes. Right. right. That's, and, and they say this is a successful addiction treatment. When in fact, what they're really saying, and we can argue whether the evidence really shows this or not, but let's just say that it does show that while, you know, taking it, makes you half as likely to uh, die of an overdose. Um, then we're not proving anything about addiction. We're proving something about, uh, what's the word? Oh, it's overdose prophylactic. Yeah, right? or yeah, damage right? so, control. It's just damage control. Yeah, it's, it's a, overdose it's prophylactic. Of, so yes. let's say, okay, it's a very successful overdose prophylactic. If you enjoy taking it, like you feel like it, it, it the side effects and however it impedes your getting high or like whatever, it, you like to continue taking it, then you're going to be less likely to have an overdose. Um, okay, fine. But that's not the same as saying as, as proving that it's a successful addiction treatment. Well, and, well, and don't you Argue think- it, this all stems from this all stems from and this is Mark said this the other day um, that th this entire movement harm reduction. Right. That's what that's what this is, falls under the purview of is harm reduction is is basically saying, well, this is the best you're going to do. Like you're doomed. Yeah. You're addicted forever. That's right. This is a disease you're going to have forever. So yeah. the best we can do for you is maybe cut your chances of death in half, but you're still going to be, you know, a slave to either heroin or yeah. buprenorphine or whatever, you know, that you're doing. Um, and so, so this is, this is all you get. So right? take buprenorphine and maybe we can arrest this and avoid jails institutions and death yes <laughs> right it sounds exact. a lot like sounds a lot like what the rehab message was in the 90s when i first went in the, in, that's in right the 90s, right they've it sounds like they've completely because that was what that messaging when i went to uh my rehab and i started and you know as we know i never really fully bought in but I started to buy into like, uh, yeah, I'm fucked for life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And they're saying literally the only way known, the only thing that helps is sticking around in AA or, or, or NA, but you're going to keep relapsing and it's going to be hell. Right. Relapse is part of recovery. Yeah. It, yeah and yeah. it's going to be we an ongoing sort of like keep you kind of in, you know, keep you together maybe a little bit is is to be involved in this aa and and that was hell yep and okay if this is the best that there is then i'm fucked and that's when i go on my five-year 
spree of just like really death wish type drug use, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I'm hopeless. It's a message that is hopeless. And people don't, I don't know how people say, oh, they give me hope. You know, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a hopeless message. And it's the same thing now. But instead, it's like, this is the gold standard. If you take yes. this, then you take it. And you're like, I still want to fucking get high. Right? Yeah. And well, I know I took methadone for a few years and I still wanted to get high. But, uh, you know, then you're like, okay, well, all right. I guess I'm fucked. And we're back at the same place. We got away from 12-step. For a few years, people were learning good things, having hope, and now we came back full circle to the to the same dismal, depressing message that if you start to buy in it, you're just you're just gonna go, you just want to go on the crash course. That's it. Because well, that's why I always have to laugh at you know harm reduction going back and forth with the twelve step. You know, the twelve step people are like, that's terrible, yeah. right? And then the harm reduction people are like, that's terrible. And I'm like, same thing. You're both doing the same thing, <laughs> yeah. but exactly with like with a different medicine, so to speak. You I, have I, the last house. What did they What did they used to call AA? Last, last house on the block. Yeah, last house on the block, man. After and now this, you have the gold yeah. standard. Yeah. You have the gold. Yeah. yeah, we're the last house on the block. <laughs> well, I, I've said for years that um, the way I view this personally and when people talk to me, because I, I'm a pretty non-judgmental guy these days, I, I think people should be entitled to do whatever, do whatever they, want. they want. You can take whatever you say, want. So if you want to if you want to go to meetings and that's your gig, my hat's off to you. Do it. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I don't care. You want to take people but, but I think can well, you if, hats if, off to you. Yeah, my hat's off to you. My hat's well, off to you. <laughs> that, that's from the big book of AA. Um, <laughs> and uh uh, if you want to, if you want to take, if you want to take Suboxone, my hat's off to you, right? Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to die. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm good with that. It's all good. I'm good. But don't, don't believe, and this is the one thing I'll say to anybody that comes to me, but don't believe that's a solution that's long-term to change your life. And don't believe that you need it. Know that it's, it's a very limited thing that you're doing. In reality, in reality, it has a very, very narrow band of effectively changing your life in some way. And that is it's going to you're going to avoid withdrawal. You're going to kick the can down the road. Yeah. And if and if that's what you want to do, if you okay. want to continue to get high and then when the shit really gets deep and you feel like, oh, shit, my buddy just OD'd and he did, too. There's probably a lot of more fentanyl in this than I had anticipated. Take some Suboxone, get out of that town and go to the next, whatever, whatever. Or if you want to go to your meetings one day at a time and then the next day decide I want to get fucked up, do that. Yeah. But, but if you want to, to change and change your complete relationship with the drug, the freedom model will show you how to do that. Drugs can't save you from drugs because <laughs> none of it is mindful. None of the, the drugs don't have a mind of their own. They're not going to change you. They're not going to change your mind for you. Just like heroin doesn't change your mind for you. Alcohol doesn't change your mind for you. Yeah. And certainly Suboxone can either. You know, I'm saying this. I, I know you all agree, but I'm saying this for the audience. And I think that I think this path is so sad to me that we've gone like we were talking the other yeah. day, full circle right back to the best you can do is take Suboxone equals Best you can do is go to your meetings, live in sober living, you know, yeah. best you can do is go to rehab for 30 days, then get a support network, you know, and all this best you can do bullshit. The best yeah. you can do 
is change your mind about your relationship with your drug and be free. Yeah. yeah. Did, you, did you know that's an option? Exactly. And that's where, you know, I know that there are people that do that while taking methadone. or I do too. And, um, and that just comes in recognizing the, the proper, here's what this thing does. It's going to keep you from going into withdrawal. Yep. Now you stop the madness. Mm-hmm. Now go discover what you have to discover in life, but it's easy to, but like people might cut off that part or they stay with the 12 step type counseling. In the meantime, they stay with some other victim hood type counseling they stay with romanticizing the drug or, you know, putting the, keeping the drug on a pedestal, even as it's like they, they yeah. go in there, fuck heroin, you know? And it's just like, you know, it's like, it, it did this to me, you know, like that. You, you yeah. that. All right. Right. You know, right now you stop the withdrawal from happening. Now, what discoveries need, do you need to make in life? And I think, and, it, and it's weird because we started out talking about they got rid of MAT as a term. Like, that's not kosher. Like, I don't know if they got rid of it totally. Right. But it's yeah. not it's not kosher for a long time now We it, because it's assisted therapy. No, no, it's just the medication. So um, they've thrown water on the idea that there's something more to addiction than just withdrawal. We've gotten to this immature place where we think it's just almost the withdrawal. Right. I, I, you know, I, I like, and, and that's, that's just something that strengthens your problem. It makes it a little bit harder because you, it's, it's tough to be clear headed while you're going through withdrawal, right? right? When you're sick, when you're physically ill, when you're yeah. physically ill and this mm-hmm. thing will take that away in, in seconds. Uh, it, you know, it's hard, it's hard to be like, oh yeah, let me, you know, go through this. Right. And that, that is, a, that's a tough decision to make. But it's a decision you can make. Yeah. But I, you know, um, but yeah, so we, the, the, let's just go through the acronyms MAT, that's medicated, medication assisted treatment. MOUD means medications for opioid use disorder. Oh, very good. OAT means uh, opioid agonist therapy. So that specifically could mean buprenorphine, methadone, or heroin even, right? Yep. Opioid agonist therapy. OST was opioid substitution therapy, and they were fine to use that term in Europe. But we here said, it's not substitution, right? (laughs) We can't say that. (laughs) We can't say that. One drug for another, which, you know, I don't, I don't even like believe in this. Oh, you're just substituting thing because it's, it's not as good as. Right. It's, it's a poor substitute at best. (laughs) It's a poor substitute. My hat's off to you. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, um, but anyways, like, yeah, I think there, there's, there's, in my mind, there's still, it's like, well, there's a, there's a proper, there could be a, a good use for this for some people, but we put it all in this, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, you know, I think ultimately it's easier to just go through withdrawal and be done with it. 
but that's not everybody's style. And right. I think that people can use this in a good way. I, I agree. I, 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 I agree a lot of people that. are being led to use it in the wrong way because it's built up like, oh, it stops cravings. Cravings don't just come from withdrawal. Withdrawal is one tenth of where cravings come exactly. from. Exactly. Great right. point. Craving is an activity you engage in because you think you get the idea and you have these associations in your mind that this drug is going to make me feel good about this, that it's going to help me deal with that's this, right. make me more comfortable in this situation, whatever it is that you think that's where craving is coming from. It's not just that's physical exactly withdrawal. Right. right. It's and a people are missing that message because it, they're, I, the idea that the craving is just a, a chemical neurological thing. And it's a, and it's a thing of the mind Yeah, more yeah. than anything. Yeah, it's the idea that you're going to have some valuable experience with the drug and you yeah. want that. It's you know? a belief that I need this right yeah. now for this, this, and this. And But they, you're right. They they tie it into physiology, that it's something that just happens to you. And uh, well, and if that's true, if that's true, if I'm, a, if I'm a minion to my brain chemistry, well, then I need medication. That's right. That's right. Then the medication changes my brain, which changes my thoughts and it's completely backwards. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, oh, I had something else to say. Oh, so all of this, if you look at it, well, I, I say this all the time. I don't, I don't, I don't care if you want to take Suboxone for a temporary stopgap measure. It's really good for that. Uh, like you just described the question, the deeper question is, do you believe in loss of control? And because the only way you can have an argument that you need Suboxone or methadone for the rest of your life and have damage control for the rest of your life is if you believe there's some power that has overtaken your life that you have no control over, that you actually need an agonist, right? Mm. You actually need some sort of physical thing to create a barrier between you and that nebulous force called addiction, that loss of control condition. And that that's not even discussed, right? Mm. It's just said, yes, you, you're out of control. You're an addict for life and you're going to have to be on Suboxone for life because the cravings never fucking stop. I mean, that's as bleak. My God, God I would, I would be eating Suboxone like crazy if that was the case, you know? And, and that's, and then they, and then they create through marketing this image of Suboxone shortage because it's yeah. so needed. It's so coveted. They create, this is all part of the marketing. Yeah. And then they, you know, and now they're training doctors in suboxone medicine, addiction medicine, you know, it's, it's not medicine folks. It's medicine for withdrawal. Yeah. That, well, it's no different. It. It's no, you know, it's so interesting because they've been doing this with alcohol forever. Yeah. When you go to detox, they put you on, um, benzodiazepine to taper you. So instead of giving you an alcohol taper, they give you a benzo taper so that it reduces your withdrawal from alcohol, right? Right. right. Safe seizures. So, yep. uh, the same thing can happen for opiates. So you go to get on buprenorphine to, to taper you from op your opiate. So you have minimal opiate withdrawal. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not like it became something totally different than that. It became this, it you know, became, it became the way the pharmaceutical companies could and sell the government could, ton. <laughs> could, could make a ton of money and could replace the guy on the corner yeah. or work in concert with the guy on the corner selling you drugs. They became partners. Yeah. And 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 now you you vacillate from one to the other 
and everybody's making the money and everybody's in this, in this lie shell game of, you know, but it's all predicated. You have to believe the customer has to believe that they are powerless first, because if they don't believe that they can't be a long-term customer, then they'll figure out really quick. Oh, if I take Suboxone for a week and coming off of heroin, I kind of, I'm all right. I do that taper. Now I can move on with my life and they're no longer a customer. Suddenly all those customers would just walk away, which is what we want with the freedom model. We want people to say, Oh, Oh, I get it. So I'm not against, I'm not against Suboxone. I'm not no. against any of these drugs. I'm not against heroin. I don't give a shit about any of that. People are entitled to do that, but I am against lying. Yeah. yeah. I am against lying for money. That's yes. just wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. You know, it's, uh, it's also, you know, it's just like the there's uh, people promoting this. They think they're being like seriously scientific. I know. Yeah. And enlightened. You know, like they really think, you know, oh, well, this is just hands down like the science. But then they go to a mythical boogeyman like stigma when yep. the science is improving true. That's right. What worked over there then is not working here now. Oh, maybe we need to analyze what really worked over there. Or maybe we need to analyze why do why are people half as likely to die while they are on these drugs versus when they are on when they are not, because that's what most of the comparison is. Some of it is against people who have gone to a rehab and gotten out without without taking it at all. But right. most of it is comparing their time on and their time off. And in your time off, you're twice as likely to uh, die than in your time on. And there's a very simple thing, which is to say, like, there's maybe there's a correlation here, which is like. When you're really dying to get high because you haven't solved the problem, you, you stop taking methadone. You stop taking buprenorphine. Yep. You go and you get a little more reckless and you die. And yep. Yeah. And you're yeah, you, know, like, right? you know, maybe it's, that's a bigger part of this, but you can't deny that pharmacologically, yes, having this, uh, you know, having this, this tolerance will decrease your chances of dying. This is good. Going to be good for some people at some stages of like, well, you at least take this. Right. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like, but, but as far as saying like gold standard of treatment for the addiction, if these people were really science-based, they would look at 90% over 90% of people get over there, you know, funny. addictions. And we know that they stay over them, even though people have hiccups along the way and they have, whatever happens or they have a few false starts they don't entirely get it they go back they eventually learn and they get over their problem but like they they eventually get over their problems permanently and they don't have to continue doing some kind of treatment right you know and they're not in recovery this is right. starting to be recognized more like that they don't identify with this recovery thing <laughs> you know what i mean they just They've just moved on. So to be really scientific would be to allow for this possibility too. That's yeah, that's exactly but, yeah, right. Just like, well, no, you're never going to get over it. You know, you might use it anytime. So you just need to be on buprenorphine for the rest of your life. Um, the other, the other thing that I think you, we were talking about the three of us just the other day as well is this idea that somehow abstinence has become uh, not an option that not it's, a worthy goal. Yeah. yeah. That is not a worthy goal. And that it's not the enlightened 
sort of approach. You know, you yeah. have to you have to really believe that now cannabis is your is your recovery aid and, and, you know, and, you know, everybody's pushing me to abstinence. Well, I, I we agree. We all agree that forced abstinence through Sucks. the AA model. And, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. And, right? it, and, and not only that, it's going to increase the chances that you end up feeling powerless because when they do kind of bend your will to get you to try to be abstinent and then you fail, Right, you were not invested. You didn't arrive to abstinence on your own. Of, right, on your own. Right, you know, it's like you tried to force it, um, and then when you fail, you're like, "Oh wow, I really am fucked." And, right. and it just increases the hopelessness to have that forced upon you. Yeah. yeah, but as you were about to say, right? Like, if you choose it for yourself, yeah, if you choose it, and and many do. So statistically, we know that many do. I did. Michelle did. You did. did. Yeah. And, and it was, and the reasons I did was because I fucking hated my life so much when I was drunk and I was so embarrassed by what I had become that the idea of abstinence uh, excited me. What were the reasons that, well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I was so physically ill from that six month, you know, (laughs) six months of drinking nonstop that, that I, I, you know, I thought if I, I remember thinking if I never drink again, I'll be okay with that. Like it, it never occurred to me, even in it, the truth of the matter was when I first went to AA and was told I had to be absent forever, it didn't scare me away at that moment. But the more we started talking in the meetings about how hard this was, the abstinence thing was, the more I started thinking, Oh, this is supposed to be hard. Yeah, it, that's that's <laughs> such a great point. Yeah, I I started to reframe it too as this battle, and I'm like, I don't think I have the right. Battle. I'm like, this is supposed <laughs> to be hard, and I I but and then I remember just getting depressed as shit because I thought, I thought, ah, oh, like I'm doomed. Like if if it's going to be this hard and you're on the pink, the pink cloud right now. Yeah. Like if it's going to be this hard and if, if the shit hits the fan in my life and I can't drink, like I, I had been unknowingly using alcohol for all kinds of things. Right. But I was unknowingly doing it. So when I stopped, it didn't occur to me that I should go back. Like until I was told it should occur to me that I should go back. Does that make sense? Like you're going to need it yeah. in the future because your life is going to suck. So you, <laughs> you had natural remission, you aged out, remission, at, right. you, you know, and then, and then it gets completely reframed and you rewrite your history according to the narrative of this bullshit. But I, I think that what's interesting is all three of us had the experience. And I think I can speak for all three of us in general where we looked out and said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm excited about my life without it for a little yeah, while. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to see what this brings. Yeah. And I'm going to figure this out. And you know what? My life took off. Yeah. I, I mean, it really, it didn't at first because I was sucked into because the we were sucked into that recovery. And I think yeah. that happens with Suboxone and all that too. Yeah. What, a, what like, a, what a waste oh, of time. I, I need this. Yeah. I need this because whew, life is hard and I'm going to want to go back. And so now I, I, and it just creates that struggle unnecessarily. That's what happens. Well, we, yeah. it's like, we're like 45 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think we can, st- I think it's been amazing. And Steve, we have to have you on more often. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's so good. It's so good to talk with you again. Yeah, it is. Have you have you be on with us? So, do you have any parting words? <laughs> um, I put them uh, on the spot. I put them on the but, spot. <laughs> yeah. No. You know what? I I, I hear a lot of uh, feedback on the book. Um, that's so great. I haven't been I haven't been teaching for years now for for a couple of years, years, yeah. Yeah. And um you know, Mark said something about this way back and then you know, then I I sort of noticed it happen because you know, for so many years I was like blogging and I was having and, and imagine I remember the the um the 2000s like the <laughs> The 2010s, um, yeah, were a bad time for AA people to go on the internet and be like, "I want to learn about the science," and then they would find my blog. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh yes, Steve got beat up. And, and like, um, but I was used to like getting fights. Yeah, all the freaking time. Mm -hmm. You know, people fighting with you about yeah. you know because you presented a different idea, and um. And then when you're working with people that are often, you know, sent to you by um, a husband, wife, or parent. Yep. Uh, they're ready to fight. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for a lot of reasons, when people seek help, they're ready to fight. Um, they're going through the help just to go through the motions. Yeah. They're, they're, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. if you do anything that deconstructs, you know, people have been given this, this condition and all of its excuses, because that's really just a way for us to, uh, I would, I would go into a deep thing if I really explained all that, but that's, I that's, know where you're going. That's something to, to just keep the relationship between people who can't tolerate the substance use and the people who are doing it. Well, you got a disease, so go to your meetings, and get your help, right? You know what I mean? And and it kind of like makes everything acceptable or whatever. But so people are holding on to this ball of excuses of like why I am the way that I am because they really don't think that they can change. And if you start to deconstruct that at all and like punch little holes in it, pull back the curtain, they get upset, they fight with That's you. That's right. And they're more, you know, you know, they're more likely to do that in the sort of rehab type situation and like whatever. But um, I was used to, <laughs> to getting a lot of fights and now I've been teaching for a few years. <laughs> I haven't been blogging. And I just get feedback. I get positive feedback. That's so great. I've had a lot of people in recent times say that they gave the book uh, to somebody. And um, I've heard like this exact phrase. I realized I didn't have to. The, the way that I drank in my 20s is not the way that I have to drink or like to drink in my 30s. Like I've heard that. Yes. I've heard that more than anything, that type of a, of a, that's freak. awesome. I've heard that people read the book, liked it, got that. I've heard feedback from people. The book changed my life. I have heard no fights. And Mark said something about the people that actually are willing to take the time to invest and read the book on their own. Cause this is mostly what I'm hearing back. Now. Yeah. They're not looking for a fight. 
That's you're looking right. to pull what's valuable and to use it. And um, exactly right. And and I'm getting a lot of that. And, and I'm so glad. Thing. Um, and if I wrote, but I don't know. I I I don't. You know, I don't know if we should do this or whatever. But if we like write wrote a second edition, right? Like mm -hmm. or a new edition of of this, right? Yeah. I would have to seriously rethink like the way I went in and that we went in and we, we tackled like every argument that we constantly. Get. I know. Laborious to the readers that <laughs> are yeah. not looking for a fight. And I, you know what I mean? I don't know, like if we need to write something that's more for the people that are not looking for a fight, but yeah. I, I, I don't know. So my parting words would be like, if you're interested in this, stop looking for a fight. But, <laughs> but that's not right because they might, it's, if you well, have serious questions, that's not a fight. Yeah. But, yeah well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you, you brought something up earlier too. It's, you're right. There's a, there's a certain portion of deconstructing the addiction side of it we don't that there the people feel like there's a fight but we don't get much of a fight on that part anymore where the fight is for us with a lot of our readers and like our group has grown on uh, the facebook group has grown and our followers and all social media and everything where the fight really is is when they want to hang on to the magic that your which yes, it, that too, yeah, yeah. It was really Stevens, you know, like section was debunking the magic of the substances yes, themselves, and, and that's genius. I'm gonna, I'm just giving Steve props here. That changed everything. It pulled together so many of my ideas and your ideas, and it gave it so much teeth. Yeah, it's, it's really been because I think we all naturally got to a point. We where did. Drugs were less meaningful to us. Where we realized, like, what well, it doesn't do all that shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That for me was the like I couldn't figure out why it was easy for me because because yeah. if I really looked back at it, staying abstinent all those years was not a not a struggle, even a little bit. Right. And yeah. I'm like, why was that? Now, part of it was I knew I wasn't powerless, but that was the other part. The other part was. Even when life got totally shitty, which it does for everybody, I, I, there was no allure back to alcohol or drugs because, I, I mean, I can remember thinking, I wish there was a pill. You know, I wish it could be that easy where I wouldn't have to deal with these emotions. But I, but I knew that there wasn't. And until you articulated that, I didn't understand. I think that, that Steve, you also bring up, I... I think that we are going to write a second edition because I'm going to start writing here. Well, we've soon. been writing. We've wrote a ton of shit. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and the way this works for the audience is I am not a good technical writer. I'm a good outdoor writer and ideas. Ideas. You're the big idea guy. So, so, so I'm not the best at, and Steve cleans it up and interprets. He always says, Detail I don't, guy. he's always says, Mark, this isn't what you're trying to say. This is what you're trying to say. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's it. That's it. And so, and then he, he brings in all the research. It's a really remarkable process. It's a, it's amazing. And one of the things that, that we've discovered over the last probably four years, even when you were still working with us is this idea of a binge construct. I think that, so you just were talking about how we have a lot of the fight in, in the book, meaning the deconstructing of mythology that people want to hang on to is hard for them. And mm -hmm. so there is a push and pull in the learning process. Right. And I, but I think that 
I just did a quick article, a quick blog on the three levels of indoctrination that people have. And the only reason I think the book is at all palatable for the average dude who hasn't been through the treatment mill is because the Western cultural indoctrination is deep without ever having to be in the recovery oh, for society. Sure. I think you're getting bombarded with addiction mythology constantly and it fucks people's lives. Right. Yeah. And then there's another level. And then I go through where we were, which was heavy duty indoctrination in AA and familial indoctrination and rehab and, and treatment. And rehab. So there's these different levels that people go through. I think our book addresses all of them, but the great challenge was we had to deal with the third level of, of indoctrination because those are the people that are the closest to being killed by it. So we had to start from, somebody who is deeply, deeply lost, like I was. It took me 12 years to walk out of the cult of Alcoholics Anonymous and the Recovery Society. And it took all of us many decades really combined, right? But then how do we articulate for the guy or gal who isn't there, right? And mm -hmm. that's, that's a yeah. different topic. And I think the second edition, I'm going to throw it out there for the audience, is going to address that in a way, in a style of writing that we're going to go through uh, examples of people's binges. And because I have 26,000 of them in my head from teaching 26,000 mm -hmm. people. Okay. <laughs> so, so there's, there's absolute patterns of that. I, that are repeated almost endlessly and there's different levels of binging. And there's everything from the person who drinks, me and Michelle were talking about this, people that drink in their garage. There's a point to all this. <laughs> there's, a per, there's, a, there's a guy that drinks in his garage occasionally on the weekends and his wife doesn't like it. And he's got a first level indoctrination and, 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 it's, and, it's, and it causes problems. But then you have the guy or gal who sits in a hotel for four days or two weeks, drinks themselves into complete oblivion and lives in their head in a fevered, miserable place. And they damn near kill themselves. They end up in detox and they repeat this over and over annually or monthly or even every few weeks and they're dying. So, and then there's every stage in between, but they all share something really remarkable. And that is a pattern of fantasy, a pattern of believing in mythology, a certain level of mythology. So what we're going to do and the second edition is take the binge construct and do it in the context of different levels of indoctrination. And then we're going to show and give examples and why people do what they do. Now, we've been experimenting with this with uh, people in our masterclass, people in our online program, people that come up and drive up and still are taught by us coaching. in our workshops and our coaching. Um, we have so Steve is going to be working with me. He doesn't know this. This is happening. <laughs> all right here. He's learning this at the same um, time everybody else is. <laughs> but, but it's it's really going to build context. It's going to be a lot softer because the, the deconstructing is very mechanical. But yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to give it a lot more context for the people, if that made sense. I hope that made I sense. It made sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Steven's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but this is the struggle from the beginning is uh, to communicate what we know, which is what, you know, we know to our core, just like there's not this big, bad disease out there. That's right. And there is life beyond drugs and it can actually be better. Right. Yeah, and yeah, wonderful. Like, and how to communicate that to somebody with all the bullshit they're being fed from 
about addiction and whatever. It's it's there. There's a million paths to do it. I never would have gotten something finished written if it wasn't working with you. I, I was trying to write a book for years right. before we came together again to work um, because it, I, I just get lost in all the possibilities about how to communicate it, what is most important to communicate, in what order to do it. I know I, it's overwhelming because like you're such a detailed person. And, yeah, that can be yeah. overwhelming. And then and, and pretty immediately realized within a few months of teaching from the new text, like, oh, I should have took that mm. stuff about drug effects and put it earlier at the front. Yeah. I should have put that loss of control appendix should have been like chapter one. Yes. <laughs> yes. We like, start I with that. Did it in the run, but I never would have gotten it out to learn that. Exactly. If, if I wasn't working with you because you've been doing it for so long, like we got to communicate something to people. Yeah. There's going to be no perfect way to do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I think it's, I think it's an extraordinary process. I think we're ready for the next level. And I just want to let the public know that, that we're going to be working on it. And, um, and I'm super excited about it because, because of the positive reactions that people have had to oh, this yeah, for the last yeah. five years. You know, it's been five years now. I like to beta test something and really dig in with people. And now they've, I always say the people teach me and then I come up with the ideas and I frame it. Now it's funny because Michelle is a mix of Steven and I. So <laughs> when I, I see things in systems, yeah. I, I, I see things in a macro level and in systems and how things need to be organized. And then Steve fills in all the gaps, man. I mean, with all the detail, because that's how he works. And then Michelle kind of sorts through it and makes sure it's readable, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and whether it makes sense, right. frankly, you know, because sometimes we write shit that doesn't make much sense. Um, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure. And um, I just I just want to let everybody know I, as we're closing this, first of all, if you're watching this on YouTube and you want to go to our master class, um, you can go ahead. Where's the QR code, Mark? Oh, the QR code. Let me get my hand here. There it is. <laughs> I have we're backwards, so it's tough. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So you can click on the like to use the QR code. That'll also get you the masterclass, which I forgot to mention. That's right. Um, that's if you're watching on a PC. Yep. Yeah. And and so uh, if you would like to learn about coaching, or we talked about the two day workshop, you can go right to the website, thefreedommodel.org. Um, or you can call us. Our phone number is at the top corner. Um, if you're watching, if not, it's 888-424-2626. And um, thank you, Stephen. And I promise everybody we will have him back on sooner than two or three years for sure. I, I would love to. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. You, Stephen, you stay on. Yeah. <laughs> Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? Well, that's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office, 
on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic, and we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.